Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using none other than a combination of old-school wisdom and new breed tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, and of course, I'm going to be your host. Today, I'm going to be revisiting Monk Mode. So welcome back, and welcome if this is your first time hearing these episodes. And today, I'm so ecstatic to be revisiting a topic that I visited in the past, and that topic is Monk Mode. Uh, I recorded the original episode on this, on Monk Mode, about, about a year and a half ago now at this point, back in... I think April 2019. So my thoughts on monk mode, I've been able to clarify them and clear them more over this time since I've been purposely thinking about it. And of course, in the past year and a half, a lot has changed. (laughs) I don't need to tell you that. But um, yeah, revisiting this topic, and I think it definitely would need some sort of slight alteration, slight update for the times we're in. So I was really inspired to talk about this because I follow this account on Twitter called Forge of Man. And shout out to Forge of Man, you know, always drop in jewels. Got to give it up to people who are dropping game on Twitter or any type of social media platform, but, you know, just making sure that people, especially men, are being better men. And it's just a great account because it talks a lot about philosophies for life, which you need to live a good life. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Unstop Rise. And yeah, so this tweet that the account put out, I don't know who it's run by, but Whoever runs it definitely comes out with, again, a lot of jewels. And this tweet really made me start thinking a little bit. And it said, technologically, we as a species are advancing at an impressive rate, but morally, we are deteriorating even faster. And right away, I just responded. I said, We've gotten too good to the point of pushing our own buttons. And that thought is not mine. I didn't come up with that. I forgot who said that, and I forgot where I read that. But all these other composite materials that I've been reading over the course of years have been really taking a look at our modern culture and how our technology is affecting us and pretty much exacerbating the tendencies and our darker tendencies Even though technology has done a lot of good things for us, you can't discount that, but it is also threatening to really disintegrate the fabric of our society because it is making us fall deeper and deeper into darker impulses such as tribalism, which is obvious because a lot of places in the world are divided, especially politically, and um, many other impulses that really keep us 
stuck in this lower form, this lower nature, instead of actually becoming more quote-unquote enlightened as a society. But we've gotten really good at the point of really stimulating and titillating these deeper needs we have with what are essentially stand-ins for these deeper needs. And this is what we're going to be going into today because I think this is extremely relevant because many places in the world, not only here in the U.S., but the worldwide in general, are going further and back into lockdown as many places in the northern hemisphere are approaching winter and the caseload is dramatically increasing in many places in the world, especially in America. And obviously when lockdown first started, um, these tendencies were exacerbated. Then summer came here in uh, North America, so people were able to get outside, do some stuff that involves some social distancing and yada, yada, yada. But obviously with colder weather, people are naturally indoors. And with this whole pandemic situation you have people who are not able to go to normal stuff. They would go to like the club, the bar, dining and stuff like that. And now they just have to sit at home again. And on top of that, the fatigue and the weariness that has really set in for this whole situation. So a lot of people are going to be going back into these things that they uh, in- indulged in and engaged in when lockdown started. So we're going to be talking about that. And I think understanding the concept behind these is pretty crucial. So without further ado, um, let's get started. So if you've been into any sort of self-development, then you've probably heard of the terms monk mode and dopamine detox. And if you haven't, I'll explain them real quick. But the concept and the approach of a monk mode and dopamine detox are pretty intertwined. You can do a dopamine detox without doing what is called as monk mode, but um, you can't do monk mode without dopamine detox. So due to the lockdown, many places obviously have been forced into some lower, lower level variation of monk mode because in monk mode, there's a component where you drastically limit or even completely eliminate your social interaction. So by default, some people and some places are in monk mode, a lower level version of monk mode. So that's when you start fleshing out the dopamine detox element. And a dopamine detox is something that's been really taking off in the past year, and it is something that is a response to all the stimulation that we find ourselves in in the modern world. And it's pretty much, as it is, as it sounds like, removing lower-level pleasures and stimulation that don't serve any value for you, don't serve any value to you. So things that eat up your time, eat up your mental space and your energy while giving very little in return, comparatively speaking. And a monk mode is pretty much encompassing something like a dopamine detox, but it's also a framework for mental stillness and equanimity, what is known as equanimity in um, something like Zen, like I mentioned in the past uh, episode, that equanimity is a 
form of stillness and a form of just accepting life as it is. So monk mode is intended not only to do a dopamine detox, but intended to cultivate equanimity. So, um, and I know what a monk mode is because I did a monk mode back in 2011. So in 2011, I pretty much did the whole nine yards. I moved off campus, pretty much isolated myself, and I really dug into my psychology and the deeper workings of it. And I've already explained that. I don't want to go too much deeper into that. But that period of monk mode was definitely essential to give me a glimpse of this life of relative stillness. So I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very thankful that I was able to do that. But 2011, technologically speaking, and, you know, environmentally speaking, it was a much lower stimulation environment than is today. 2011 compared to 2012, 2020 right now, um, night and day almost. Well, mm, it depends because there were still stuff like obviously laptops, tablets, phones and all that. But it was much harder to do things in terms of stimulation. So you pretty much had to work harder to get your stimulation going. Um, and that's not the case now. So we're going to get into that pretty soon. So right off the bat, I think it's worth knowing that the human brain is pretty much always seeking to fulfill needs in a sense. It's always scanning the environment for opportunities. And this is a relic of our ancestors because they lived in a low opportunity environment, which means that their brains always need to be looking for a chance to survive and a chance to really ensure their and their lineage's survival. So obviously we live in this high stimulations environment and obviously that's a mismatch in terms of what our genetics are and what our natural disposition is. So you would think that, oh, we would evolve with the time, we would evolve with stimulation, but unfortunately evolution is a very slow process. So we're still dealing with outdated hardware in a world where this does not match up with that hardware. And I've already talked about that in the episode on addiction as well. But since the beginning of lockdown, we've obviously been cloistered into varying levels of keeping inside, keeping indoors. And for a lot of people, uh, their inner environment is just not very stimulating, very fulfilling. Um, if you look at the environment of a lot of people, not probably not the majority, but too many people, I'd say, is that there's just nothing rich for the brain to really clamp onto something like a good book or some type of meaningful, fulfilling work like a side project. There's pretty much none of that. All there is is pretty much stimulation in varying forms. And uh, because many people have a barren environment, where are they going to go to for stimulation? Of course, they're going to go on the internet, the ultimate giver of stimulation. And on the internet, anything you want is there. So people are naturally going to be turning towards those sources. And especially since we don't have social interaction or as much social interaction as we used to, 
people are going to be going for needs for those, um, going to sites that quote unquote provide an outlet for those needs. So it's not surprising when you look at statistics from the COVID in terms of how people are interacting with different things that you see increasing rates of something like social media addiction. Many people are using social media as a way to, again, quote unquote, meet those needs. And uh, a lot of people just go on social media for a quick dopamine hit. Like you get a like, dopamine, you get a comment, dopamine, you get into a fight with someone on social media, especially on Twitter, dopamine, and they're just looking for stimulation. So of course, social media is going to provide that stimulation. But what is social media providing for you in long term, in terms of your fulfillment, in terms of your career, in terms of your overall lifestyle, your psychology? And that's an individual question for people to ask, but that's something to keep in mind. And then you think about something like video games. Video games uh, are much bigger than when I stopped playing them. I stopped playing them a long time ago, but even then video games were pretty big, but now they're massive. Um, Pretty much everyone plays video games for the most part. Um, It is very, very, very mainstream, and people make millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars from doing something like Twitch streaming, and video games and video game consumption is up, they say, by like 23%, and... I think it's doing an overall revenue of about $30 billion so far. And video games, of course, span everything from cell phone to tablet to computer to even games on social media and consoles. So you've got the wide gamut of video games. And since people are spending more time indoors, then you're going to get higher rates of gaming. And of course, with gaming at higher rates, you're going to have some people who just inevitably become addicted. Not everyone who plays video games will become addicted, but a large people amount of people who do. And then, of course, since people aren't going out and dating and meeting people, lots of people turn to something like pornography. So every pornography site pretty much has shot up in terms of traffic. Every porn site has experienced record-breaking traffic and... It is just something that, I mean, it's been pretty much shown that pornography does not do anything positive for you, and it is the equivalent of eating junk food, very high-carb, high-fat, high-sugar, high-salt junk food, and it does not do anything positive for you. So that's been going up. Then you've got something like drugs, drug consumption, drug and alcohol consumption, especially during the earlier stages, consumptions of weed, alcohol, pills, all of them have skyrocketed. There's a opiate epidemic in the U.S. right now, and those statistics have added to that. Um, not the weed, because weed's obviously not an opiate, and it obviously has medicinal use, but um, weed and other things like alcohol are used to quell anxiety, which pretty much is a crutch in a sense. If you're using it for that, there's a difference between just smoking a joint and taking some alcohol versus using it as a go-to for anxiety. So um, drug consumption has gone up across all verticals, especially in the harder drugs, which obviously 
is not good. So you have all of these things. You have all of these verticals, pretty much. And what are all of these? If you look at the root of all of them, they're pretty much all instant gratification. They're all instant. And the thing about instant gratification is that the more you do it, the more you want of it. And of course, the more you focus on something, you're going to get more of it in your life. So this obviously creates some form of bad habit, and a bad habit, if left unchecked, will turn into an addiction. So you ask, why does this happen? And it's pretty obvious um, if you've been keeping up with the literature and if you're into the dopamine detox, then you know this is all driven by dopamine. And dopamine is thought of as a neurotransmitter for pleasure. It's actually not wholly and solely responsible for pleasure. It's more responsible for motivation. So when you do something that your body and your brain sees as something that will be beneficial to your survival, it says do more of it. And obviously it creates this whole concept of rising and falling dopamine. And it's this whole system that is very complex. I'm not going to explain it because I'm not a neuroscientist and I wouldn't be doing it justice. But this whole concept of dopamine is that when you do something that has high stimulus, let's say the first time you do drugs or something like that, first time you do drugs, you're on cloud nine, then you do it again, and then you have lesser high, do it again, lesser high, lesser high, and you need more to get even closer to that first time. So you're pretty much, quote unquote, chasing the dragon. And that's pretty much the essence of tolerance. And almost everyone knows that. If you're an adult, you know that. But um, knowing that different things in our environment titillate different levels of dopamine, lots of people don't know that. And what happens when you involve a lifestyle or you get involved in a lifestyle that is very stimulating? Let's say you're, um, you have sex addiction or you have pornography addiction you're addicted to drugs, uh, alcohol, um, going on social media, all this stuff, is that your overall levels of enjoyment and motivation and everything for life really takes a downswing. So it's a depressant on all of these things. And you won't show up for life when it counts. Because why would you? You have all the stimulation you need. So your brain says, hey, we're not going to get you motivated because, you know, we're already satisfied. And that's where the dopamine detox comes in. And the dopamine detox is pretty much a hedge against addiction. And when you have an addiction, your life, it's no longer yours, right? Addiction pretty much screws with your psychology. And... If you can't get your psychology under control, then I'm sorry, you are fucked with a capital F, right? So, as I said before, if you look around, there's varying levels of addiction. Different people have addiction to varying things. You got cell phone addiction, screen addiction, social media addiction, all these things. Food addiction, that's something I didn't mention. Food addiction, um, all these things. And obviously, 
these things added up make life seem like it's gray and dull. And I've already talked about this before, so I won't go too deep into that. And yeah, so monk mode, dopamine detox is a hedge against these addictive behaviors. So because many of us have already been put in a lower level form of monk mode, again, not being involved in the outside world too much, social stuff not being online and all this other stuff, naturally, the only thing left to do is sharpen the dopamine detox aspect of that. So there's a whole framework around this. I don't want to get too deep into this, but I think these will be enough to get you started. And I've already written about these and I'll provide links to what a monk mode is in depth and what a dopamine detox is in depth and the framework surrounding those. So I'll include these in the description of this episode. So the first one I would say is you've got to get your phone use under control. You've just got to get under control. I mean, if you think about it, like out of a tablet, a computer, or a cell phone, your cell, your cell phone, your smartphone, it's the easiest and most mindless gateway to getting dopamine, to getting, you know, these stimulating things. Like, if you think about it, again, you play video games on your phone, you go browse the internet on your phone, you watch porn on your phone, I mean, all this stuff. So, um, obviously, it's the first gateway. And for every type of uh, behavior, in terms of psychology, and in terms of um, intangible uh, intangible psychological framework, there's always a cornerstone habit or a cornerstone bunch of habits. If you hit that, it's like Alexander slicing the Gordian knot. The entire thing just falls away. So if you can hit that Gordian knot, then you're going to be like 80 to 85% good. That's going to solve a lot of your problems in that area. So in terms of stimulation and addiction and all of that, then the Gordian knot is your cell phone or any type of easy access for uh, technology, which is in this case your cell phone, because it's portable, you put it in your pocket, you can easily put it uh, put it away, pull it out, scroll, um, do all this stuff. It's just mindless and compulsive. So obviously you've got to get that under control. And what are some basic steps to do that? Well, a basic thing to do that is don't sleep with your phone. Charge it, Put it in another room if you have to. Put it on the table. But don't keep it near your bed. In fact, don't even go with it to bed. Laying in your bed on your phone is the worst, one of the worst things you can do. Because, I mean, you're not only going to disrupt your sleep with that blue light, even if you get a blue light filter, but, I mean, you're still looking at light when you should be going to sleep. But also, you can run into something that's going to keep you up at night, and you're just starting to... Uh, your mind's starting to race, all this stuff, right? So definitely put your phone as far away from your bed as you can because, to be honest, your bed should only be for two things, sleeping or having sex. So um, I think there was like some study done that they looked at couples who did not go to uh, bed with their phone and also didn't have a TV in their room that their marital and 
relationship satisfaction was, I think, 50% or 60% higher than people who had a TV in the room. So obviously, that's a good reason not to have any sort of screen in your room if you can help it. So that's the first one. You got to get your phone use under control. So for the second one, I would say make technology harder to access. Like, think about your phone as it is right now. Pull it out. Take a look at it. If you're like many people, there's a whole bunch of apps on your phone that honestly don't even need to be there. So part of making technology harder to access is having set times for your phone, but also removing certain applications that you use for certain things. Like uh, if you find you have an addiction to social media, then remove the social media apps from your phone. And in fact, remove every single app for your phone. And this is what Cal Newport talks about in his book, Digital Minimalism, that do a thing where you remove every single app for your phone for 30 days and see at the end of 30 days which ones you add back in. You'll pretty much see that most of them you only even use on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. And your phone is much cleaner, has much more space, and it's much, much, much more focused. And, um, you know, you'll probably won't miss them. And another thing I do is to rule my phone instead of it rule me is that I disable all notifications from my phone. Even when I get text, I don't get a notification that I get text. I have to go into the text messages setting and check it to see if I got any text. And may say, oh, well, that's pretty extreme. And I won't know if there's some type of emergency or blah, blah, blah. And then I would just say, ask yourself, of all the times when someone texts you, when has it ever been an emergency? I'm probably willing to bet like one out of like 100,000 times. And if it really was truly an emergency, you know, they'd call you. And a, a real emergency, a true do or die emergency is not done over text unless someone's like being hostage, held hostage in their house or something and they're sending a text like, oh, help me, help me, help me. But in that case, you're probably not going to be the one to help them anyway. But um, yeah, that goes along with making technology hard to access is that you just make it less easy to fall down that rabbit hole of stimulation because to be honest, if all you do is respond to notifications, that's all you're going to be doing all day. You're going to be responding. You're going to be reacting. You're not going to be responding and you don't want to react, right? So number two, make technology harder to access. Number three, I would say is to double down on your disciplines, on the good disciplines that really strengthen your structure. Think like Getting a good amount of sleep. That's why you don't sleep with your phone. You want to get a solid good night's sleep that you wake up refreshed and ready for the day, especially if you work. Um, most people who are working, to, uh, listening to this are working. I'm not really including school age guys in this, but even if you're in school, whether in undergrad or grad school or even high school, you know, getting a good night's sleep is just essential for everyone. So, Getting good sleep, waking up early so you can have more time for the day, exercising, learning new skills, and all these things just make you a better person. And that's the whole purpose of self-improvement. If you're not becoming better, 
then you're becoming worse. So I asked this back in April, May, and it was something that I sent to the email list to think about that after quarantine, ask yourself, who are you going to be? Who do you want to be after this entire lockdown situation is over? Because you're always forming habits, you're always forming new habits and new routines. And after quarantine, we're all going to have different expectations of what life should be, because obviously this period has been very intense and it has molded a lot of us and a lot of our ways of thinking. So in terms of lifestyle, you got to ask yourself, who do I want to be? Who is the man that I want to show up as? And you ask, how can my habits shape that? And your habits will shape that. So that's why you get conscious control and all this stuff like your phone, your internet use, all of that. Um, so yeah, three, double down on whatever disciplines you have. And me personally, I am doubling down on stuff like learning and honing in on my career and my craft. And uh, yeah, I just want to be rock solid when this is all over. So that's number three. Double down on whatever good disciplines you have. Number four, I would say, is use social media sparingly and only to check in. And this goes along with something like texting as well. Uh, Social media, again, is another rabbit hole. If you just go on it, you can have the potential to be on it all day because that's all you're going to do. And many people have fall victim to that. All they are is doing social media all day. And (laughs) that's obviously not productive. So use it only to check in with people that you want to check in with and see how they're doing. And then just quickly log off. And uh, the same thing with texting as well. That's why I don't have notifications when I get a text because I want to be able to control when I respond to that text. So because if you just react to text coming in, you're just going to be texting back and forth all day. And I've played that game and it's just a huge waste of time. So yeah, number four, use social media and texting and any communication, any digital communication sparingly and only to check in with people. Number five, I would say is Ask yourself, what else can you do? What else can I do during this time? And this goes along with your disciplines, but ask yourself, what can you develop during this time? Is there always a book you want to read? Is there always a series you want to read? Is there always some hobby you want to pursue? Is there a fitness goal you've always wanted to pursue? A lot of people are unemployed because they've been laid off or they... um, I've been furloughed or something like that. So there's just this huge expanse of free time. Use that time to think about and start doing what you want to do. So if you want to start something like a side hustle, there is a good chance that you can just go and register a website. Think about whatever product or service you want to sell. Register that website. Create product pages. Flesh out your offerings. Register your company and You can start that at like 8 o'clock in the morning and be done by like 2, 3 o'clock and ready to have customers and do business. And if you want to do something like that, I mean, the door is open for you. You just have to have the money for getting hosting and getting the registration fee and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of opportunity during this time. Make sure you use it well and you use it well by asking yourself, What else can you do? So that's number five. Number six, and the final one I would say is 
to get help if you need it. You know, a lot of people are suffering a lot of mental health issues during this time, anxiety, depression, loneliness, sadness, anger, all these emotions, all these things that really affect your mental health. And um, I've been seeing a lot of commercials for this thing called BetterHelp, which is, I think, telepsychiatry. So that's one option if you want to get involved with an addiction or uh, some type of counselor, then you can do that. Um, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. So I can't help you there. I can't help anybody there. I mean, I'm not licensed or anything. I'm just a guy. <laughs> I'm just a guy talking about self-development on the, on the internet. So um, I can't help you with that. But if you find that you have an addiction to social media, you know, TV, pornography, um, food, all that stuff, then, you know, there are people out there who can help you. You just have to make sure you find them and connect with them and do what they say you should do so you can help with that addiction. So I definitely encourage you to do that, especially if you have a bad habit that you feel is an addiction or an addiction, um, especially if you just want someone to talk to. Because sometimes, I mean, during this whole situation, there's a lot of, you know, guys out there um who just don't have anybody to talk to. So definitely don't hesitate to pick up the phone and talk to someone uh, before anything bad happens. So yeah, get help, get help, get help, get help, right? So I think that's enough to get you started. Um, I don't think this is needing to go on any longer. I think that's well enough to start anything and if you want a deeper dive on this topic then head on over to www.unstoppablerise.com where i talk about more topics on the corner of self-development psychology and productivity with a masculine slant on the attempt to help you live a more self-actualized existence so that's it for me here i hope you have a good day good week and until next time stay sharp Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and listening in. I truly appreciate your support and your attention. It means a lot. If you like this content, go ahead and like the content. Go ahead and share the content with at least two other people you think would benefit. Doesn't hurt to spread the good stuff around, right? And if you're listening in on iTunes, go ahead and rate the show with a honest rating. This will definitely help the show grow. And I truly appreciate your feedback. So until next time, Stay good, take care of yourself, take care of other people, and peace.